BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Tom Bendrovsky show as I speak. It is Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. Uh, what's in the news today? If you're listening to this podcast three years ago, you're going, well, what's in the news today? Well, I'll tell you just <laughs> this day happened to be the day uh, that the Oscar nominations came out. And uh, the big story is Oppenheimer leads with 13 Oscar nods, but Leo DiCaprio did not get a nod. Okay. Uh, and Greta Gerwig did not get a nod for uh, directing Barbie. Uh, and I miss my old friend Sergio Mims very, very much. Uh, if he were uh, still with us, uh, we would be taking a deep dive on the Oscars. And whenever the Oscar nominations come out, I always think of Sergio. Like, what would he think? What would he say? What would Sergio say about these? I got a hunch he'd be really passionate about uh, Maestro, the Bradley Cooper flick about um, Leonard Bernstein. Uh, Sergio was like a a renaissance man. He knew a lot about a lot of different things. One thing he knew passionately uh, was classical music. He had a show for many years at WHPK in Hyde Park. Uh, And he would talk about his Sergio and I are the same exact age. We graduated high school. Uh, the same year. I think my distinguished guest and I are uh, in the same age and we all graduated together. Uh, different high schools, Sergio, my distinguished guest, uh, and myself. Anyway, uh, and uh, Sergio uh, would talk about how in the 60s when he was a kid growing up in Hyde Park, he watched uh, the Leonard Bernstein's, uh, those the TV shows. Uh, what was it? Uh, classical music for young people. Some, I forget what the exact name was. He just fell in love with uh, classical music. I uh, had that classical music show for years and years at HPK. Thinking of you, Sergio, whenever the Oscars come out. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, and then we are going to have a very interesting conversation, uh, provocative and thoughtful as well. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. All right, my name is Dorothy Tucker. Uh, I am an investigative reporter for CBS Chicago yes. and the immediate past president of the National Association of Black Journalists. Yes. Uh, and uh, she is a legend in Chicago journalism, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't believe me, 
uh, believe the Lissagor Awards uh, folks. They gave her a Lifetime Achievement Award. Come on, Dorothy, don't bury it. Uh, and I'm just reading from the announcement. Uh, Dorothy Tucker has been honored. This is just one paragraph in the announcement. Dorothy Tucker has been honored numerous times throughout her career. In 2021, she won two regional Edward R. Murrow Awards and was part of the news team that won a National Murrow for overall excellence. Excellence. Tucker is also the recipient of the 2021 Lifetime Achievement Award from the Chicago Association of Journalists. And that's just one paragraph out of many uh, and, uh, and uh, from the program. So uh, it's a great honor to have you on the show, Dorothy. Thank you uh, for coming Thank on the show. You. And before I get into the interview, shout out Mark Wallace for making this happen. I see you, Mark. Uh, and uh, Mark Wallace, dear friend of the show. All right, Dorothy. Uh, wow. So let's just start. This is a very sober uh, topic we're going to have. And I will uh, um, just read the headline from cbsnews.com. Uh, so I should just say this. Uh, this is the headline for a half-hour special uh, that you can find uh, if you just go to YouTube. All you have to do is Google Dorothy Tucker's name, T-U-C-K-E-R, and you'll see this. Here's the headline. Investigating injustice, black women hit hard by crime. Uh, the original story came out, I think, on December 6th. There's an updated version uh, that came out this month, about a couple of weeks ago. And that's the one I watched. It was a half hour long. A very powerful and uh, disturbing uh, series that you did. Very powerful investigation that you did. Uh, and it kind of opened my eyes. I hadn't thought about crime this way before. I hadn't thought about crime the way uh, you targeted it. Like, who are the people most at risk? Uh in Chicago when it comes to crime. Uh, and um, so why don't you begin by uh, sort of saying what your investigation uncovered, like who are the people who are hit hardest by crime? Well, quite simply, it's black women. Um, we looked at not just one year, two years, or three years. We analyze Chicago crime data uh, for the last 21 years. Uh, we looked at 8 million profiles and just poured over all the stats. And in that time, what we saw was that consistently Black women wore, wore the brunt of crime. They were disproportionately impacted by crime every year in almost every category, not just violent crime, but nonviolent crime as well. Black women make up 16% of the population, but yet when it comes to batteries, rapes, um, you know, kidnappings, the numbers sometimes go 38, 39, 40% of the victims. Uh, trafficking, they represent about 52% of the victims. Domestic violence, more than 50%. Even something like arson and car theft, you know, they're at 25, 28, 30%. <laughs> and, you know, this, we found this alarming, we being, you know, those of us on the investigative team. And we just uh, wanted to dig a little deeper and talk to people uh, and hear them talk about their experiences so that we can expose this issue. Now, when you began your investigation, think about this 8 million profiles. That's a staggering number, Dorothy. Uh, so 
why don't you just, before I ask my question, uh, which is, uh, I wrote down so I won't forget it, why don't you just talk a little bit about it? eight million profiles. Like, what does that mean? Are you talking about eight million people who are victims of crime? Are you talking about eight million separate cases? What do you mean? That's a, that's a huge number. It is a huge number, but you know, but remember you're talking 2021 20, years, you know, so you're talking over the course of that time that, uh, you know, you're looking at the crime stats and you're just kind of going down every category. You're considering race, uh, gender, age, you know, all of that, all of that goes into the, to uh, the various profiles and it, those records are there in the Chicago police reports. Um, it just takes a little digging to find them, uh, you know, to, to, and to compare it with what the reports are and then what the crime stats are. So, you know, our data analysis, our data, our data journalists were able to pull all of that stuff together. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, you know, they're the ones who crunch the numbers over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you went into this study, when you went into this investigation, when you first began, uh, did you have a hypothesis? Do you have a, was there something you were looking for that you had a, a feeling you would discover or did you just go into it uh, sort of blindly? No, uh, you know, I think when we first heard the figures, it was just kind of like, well, duh. You know, we've seen the headlines before that said black women are the number one victims when it comes to murders. You know, black women are the number one victims when it comes to domestic violence. So, you know, initially it was kind of like, okay, well, this is a story that's been told before. These are facts that have been out there before. But then as we continue to dig and continued to look at all the crime and all the categories um, you know, I think we were surprised to see when it when we were talking about batteries, when we were talking about rape, trafficking, and again, you know, even some of your nonviolent crimes, uh, black women still over indexed in all of those categories. So that's really what got our attention. And then when we looked at black girls under the age of 18, who were really the most victimized, you know, what we discovered was that for every one white girl who was the victim of a battery, there were 18, 18 black girls, you know, um, over the course. And again, this number was consistent over the course of 20 years. And so, you know, you began to just say, wow, why isn't this, uh, you know, at, at the top of somebody's agenda. You know, why aren't we hearing more about this? Why aren't there studies being conducted? Policies being changed? Uh, you know, so that's really why we wanted to just bring it to light. That is a staggering number. Let's just not let that one drop. 18 to 1 for every one battery crime against uh, a white girl, there's 18 against a black girl. Did I get under that correct? Age, under the age of 18. That under the correct. age of 18, yeah. That's correct. Wow. Uh, I've had on this show uh, many times a journalist named Alden Lowry. Shout out Alden Lowry. And we talk about the uh, demographics in Chicago. And he, uh, this is 
not directly related to what you're doing, but just follow me in this, Dorothy. Uh, and uh, all there was one who opened my eyes to the fact that so many black people have left Chicago since 2020. And I remember the first time he was on the show with me, we were going through the numbers, a stagger, again, another unstaggering number. And I go, Alden, how could this have happened over the last 20 years and nobody ever said anything about it? To which Alden responded, I got to give him credit because he did this right there on the, on the mic, Dorothy. He said, well, I guess they didn't see it as a problem. Uh, and so uh, I'm asking you the same question. Like, is it because they don't see it as a problem because it's black girls in this particular case? Why has this not gotten more attention? No, I think it's a number of reasons. Um, I think at the top of the list, it is a disrespect um, or lack of respect for black women. You know, I think that historically, you know, black women just have always kind of been um, viewed as not as important as less than um you know, there are some stereotypical stereotypical things that we can go back to to slavery in uh, you know the the history of of uh, of the black woman and what her role has been and what the perception has been and and how she has in some regards been portrayed uh, in a negative light. And I think so. When you have a general uh, attitude like that, I think it's easy to overlook or just not pay attention um, and just disregard, dismiss, you know, what's happening to this group of women who have just been um, systematically ignored. So it's a trick, it's a kind of a trickle down effect in that if, if the woman is the victim of a crime and she goes to report it to the police and it's just not deemed as important as that young white woman walking into the police station and saying, I was the victim, you know, uh, it, it doesn't carry the same urgency. So when the crime, when it comes to time for the police to show up in court, um, you know, do they miss the date? Do they not break their neck to come? Because eh, it's a black woman. When it comes time for the prosecutors to, um, you know, carry the case through, you know, do they not push as hard? Eh, you know, it's a black woman. So, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I think that it's, it is, again, an overall um, lack of respect. And I think that at the core, that needs to change. Um, and, uh, yes, I urge, uh, everybody, to, uh, to think about that. It has to change just an overall, a lack of respect. Uh, this report that you did is very personalized, uh, Dorothy. It opens with you saying, I'm doing this from memory. Um, we, we studied the statistics for 20 years and discovered, uh, the Vic, the, that there was, uh, one special, one group of one set of victims that were victimized the most, and those are people that look like me. Mm -hmm. I remember that look like me part. I stumbled over the opening, but I re definitely remember the look like me part. Mm -hmm. um, talk about that. Like This is about as personal as you can get, I think, uh, when you're a... Um, well, I mean, I'm a black woman. 
you know, and I, and I have a black daughter and I have a black mother and I have a, you know, a black aunt um, and my friends, you know, so um, it's, it's, it's personal because my world is a world of black women. And, uh, you know, I know women who have been victims. Um, and in my work as a reporter, I've interviewed entirely too many women who have been victims. Um, you know, so, you know, that's why it's a case of saying they look like I do because all of them, we're, we're, we're all black and we're all in this, you know, in this uh, world together. I mean, it's kind of like the one young lady who I interviewed who ultimately lost her life was murdered. Uh, you know, she, she was the victim of an attempted carjacking and she was, uh, she was there for just a short time, but the man who attempted to carjack her had been at that gas station for hours according to people who were standing around. He'd been at, he'd been there for hours and there had been lots of people who'd come through and many men who'd come through and he never attempted to carjack them. He never attempted to take their car, but he did attempt to take hers because she was a young black woman. And what, did he think he could get away with it uh, because she was young? Did he think he could get away with it because police are slow to respond especially in the black neighborhoods. Uh, you know, did he think he could get away with it? Because even if he's caught, you know, probably he'll, he'll get slapped on the wrist and be out there again, you know, but so all of this goes into play for this black woman. And she said, you know, he sat here and he watched everybody else come and go, but he targeted me. And, you know, I think, I think there's a, there was a study that was done um, I forget the name of the professor. She's out in Los Angeles. But, you know, they interviewed, they interviewed offenders. And these men in particular uh, were very honest. And when they talked about women that they grabbed off the street and, and raped, they would go after the black woman before they would go after another one because uh, the response was not going to be as great. You know, the police weren't going to work as hard to find them. The chances of them getting away with it were greater if it were a black woman. You know, the police were going, she's going to walk into that police station and she's going to, you know, that day have a halter top on and shorts. And if she were, again, you know, any other race with a halter top on and shorts, um, it would be summertime and, 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 the police would take down her narrative and and she would look like their their daughter, their niece, and, and they would take care of her. But when that black young girl walks in with a halter the halter top and shorts on, you know, there's a different perception. You know, there's a different set of kind of accusing eyes on her. You mentioned that this particular woman uh, later was murdered. Uh, that was in a a second crime not related to this one, correct? Exactly. Um, and, I was, and it was one of those stories that really haunted me. Um, we, we interviewed her, I want to say, in August. The crime had happened in December of 22. 
we interviewed her in August of 23. And the guy by that time had been caught. And, uh, you know, so she was willing to share her story with us. And we interviewed her as an example of a nonviolent crime and a woman who felt she had been targeted. And by that October, uh, in October, she was murdered mm-hmm. by a former uh, co-worker um, who attacked her in her garage and, and uh, strangled her to death. So, and, you know, when I got the word of that, I was actually on my way home on the bus from, you know, from work. And the photographer who had done the story with me, some kind of way through social media, somebody reached out and he saw it and he called me and he said, hey, I think this is the same young lady that we interviewed. And, uh, you know, I... You know, I, I was numb. I was numb. Um, I mean, I've, I've had, I've done, you know, hundreds of stories in my career, but never um, one where the person that I had formed some kind of relationship with was murdered. You know, and here's what happens to you as a reporter, especially in a story like this one. You know, it was very difficult to get women to talk to us. I mean, this is really personal. You know, you've got to you got to put your story out there, put yourself out there, and let the world know that you were a victim. Um, and you know, you got to relive it. You got to relive it on television. So you know, this takes a few phone calls, and if, you know, a lot of assurance that we're going to tell this story respectfully and, you know, that we're going to protect them. Uh, They don't have to say what they don't want to say. And, you know, whatever you say, we appreciate. So, you know, there are a few conversations that go on. And then the day of the interview, you know, you spend some time with the young woman and then you follow up. Uh, If you have any other follow-up questions or you just kind of follow up just to say, hey, you know, how you doing? Um, So... You know, there there is a huge amount of appreciation and respect for these women who have the courage to tell their stories on uh, on television. And then for something like this to happen, that was devastating. That that's one of the most remarkable things about the series, uh, and is that it's living testimony, uh, and women on camera, just like Dorothy, just like you just got finished saying, uh, it, it's really powerful stuff. Um, was it difficult to, uh, talk them into doing that? It was it, um, yeah, <laughs> it was very difficult. I, uh, for every one woman that you saw on television, I probably had talked to at least five or six others who said no. And sometimes they said yes. And then they called back and said, no, sometimes they said yes. And they said, yes, meet me at this location. And they stood me up three times in a row. Um, You know, and I'm not mad at them at all, you know, because I get it. You know, I mean, I know it's tough. It's, 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 you know, it's just tough to just expose yourself like that. So, um, you know, but it, it, we, 
reached out to different people in the community. We reached out to different organizations. Um, you know, and I'd speak to one woman and they would go, nah, I don't think I want to. And I would, well, do you know anybody who perhaps has been a victim who might talk to us? And then, so you talk to that person and then, you know, you just go on down the list. I mean, it, 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 it took us several months, you know, to find three, four victims, you know, <laughs> Um, you know, we, we were looking for people with different stories, but it, it, it took a few months for us to find it. Um, one of the, uh, women who talked to you, uh, on camera, uh, most of the women I should start off by saying are not people who are well known. Uh, but one of the, uh, the women that you talked to is very well known that of course is Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox, very powerful testimony, uh, from Kim Fox. Yeah. Uh, talk about that. Uh, how uh, It blew me away. You know, um, I had heard the headlines. I'd seen the headlines. I knew that she was a victim. You know, I knew that she had publicly said I was molested uh, when I was a child. Um, so I knew that. And I expected her to talk about that, I did not expect her to go into the depth that she did, to the details that she did. I did not know that this one woman has been a victim three times. In three times, each time she was violated, each time, you know. Uh, so I, I got to tell you, when she she started the interview off that way, and, you know, if you look at the story, I was hearing it for the first time, you know, when she says, I was molested by a relative between the ages of five and seven. I was raped by two strangers when I was eight. I was the victim of date rape when I was in college at 20. And she said the one after the other, after the other, and my mouth dropped. And we had two cameras. So you can see my reaction is I, I didn't know what to say. So all I said was, yeah. And then she repeated me and she just said, yeah. And it was like, we didn't have to talk about that anymore. Um, now, and, and I so appreciate you know, her trusting me with her story, uh, you know, because again, I know she has part of the story or one portion of it. She did tell a print, an author, I don't think it was a print reporter, but an author, she told a, you know, a segment here to somebody, a segment there to somebody, but never quite the way that she shared with us. So I really appreciated that. And it, it really made you understand what it takes for any woman, especially someone like her, to get through life. You know, to dis despite all of these painful, traumatic experiences, uh, you know, she she made it through 
school. She made it through college. She made it through law school. She she kept fighting, you know, and as she said, when things got rough, she'd look at the leaves because that's what she did when, when she was eight years old in an abandoned building being raped by two men, two men. And she's a little girl, eight years old. And the way she said she dealt with the trauma, the way she survived was to just look out of the window and look at the leaves and tell herself it'll all be over soon. It'll all be over soon. You know, uh, there's, uh, you talk about trauma. Uh, there's a consequence and, uh, to this kind of crime, this unrelenting crime uh, that goes either unpunished or untreated. And I'd like you to address that if you could. Uh, I remember when the city, in its infinite idiocy, in my humble opinion, uh, closed mental health clinics in high crime areas, and I thought that was a really brutal blow and a really misguided uh, blow because people need to deal with the trauma. Like the one you just, the, the, the incident you just talked about. And um, I'm not sure that our city recognizes that. Well, no, let me amend that, Dorothy. I don't believe our city recognizes that. I believe that there's a double standard when it comes uh, to dealing with mental health issues. One, if you're wealthy enough to have a good health coverage system and you could pay for your doctor, then it's something you do privately. Two, if you don't have that kind of health care system, then you have to rely on the public. And the public doesn't seem very generous, in my humble opinion, about providing it. Even though everyone needs it, everyone uses it. Uh, so I would love to hear your thoughts on this, uh, how we as a, a city uh, have dealt with the, um, the consequences, the mental consequences of, of crime, particularly for the, the victims of crime. Well, I mean, I think it's exactly what you said. You know, I mean, clearly there is a need for more mental health facilities. And, you know, I don't think it's something that uh, the need is, you know, not just in uh, high crime areas. I think the need is across is across the city. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, quite honestly, in the suburbs as well, um, you know, where there, I mean, there are issues everywhere. So, and, and I've done stories outside of Chicago where, trust me, uh, you know, they have the same concerns and they have the same kinds of issues not being able to find uh, the facilities that are needed uh, when, it, when it comes to mental health. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it does add to the crime because if, if people don't get the help they need, then, you know, they will go, they will go out sometimes and commit crime. So, but. It works both ways. In other yeah. words, people who are the victims of crime uh, don't get the help they need to deal with the trauma of it. And then people who are experiencing other issues go out and commit crimes. You know, I think, I, I think there are, you know, there definitely are organizations to help victims deal with trauma. They exist. I think that, you know, what I have found in this story is, is that um, there needs to be more funding for these organizations to get the word out 
there needs to be more support um, and there needs to be more promotions. You know, I mean, I, you know, I was talking to this and I think she was in the story and this didn't make the story, but I was, you know, one of the sisters, I forget, I think her name was Gabby and she actually deals in trauma. I mean, her job is to help women deal with trauma. And, you know, she said when it happened to her, uh, she didn't know where to turn. And, and her mom didn't know where to turn, you know. And, you know, what she suggested, because I asked everybody, what do you think the solution is? You know, what would you contribute? And she said, you know, one of the things that should be done is that there should be more literally billboards. You know, there should be more information uh, distributed in, in schools, you know, in parks, in community centers, uh, about the programs that are available and the organizations that are available to that are to help victims of traumatic crime. So, victims of any kind of crime. Um, in terms of the very particular, specific uh, issue that uh, your investigation highlighted, which is the fact uh, that. Uh, uh, an out, outrageously high portion of the, the the victims are black women. What do you think uh, our society, our city, our state, our government, anybody, what should be done about this? You know, I, I hesitate to say what I think should be done uh, outside of the fact that I think we should start talking about it. You know, I mean, one of the reasons we did the story was because there is no one, two, three, four different answers um, I think, you know, this is an epidemic, as one of the um, the experts said, you know, and if it were a drug epidemic, we would figure out how to convene and, and, and start talking about a solution. So I think what we need is kind of what we're beginning to see is for uh, those who can make change um, come together and talk about it. You know, now, having said that, what are the things that help, you know, based on my conversations with the experts, based on my conversation with the women that I have spoken to? For example, one woman said there needs to be better child care. There needs to be better child care available for women who have to work so that they, these children are not left alone at a young age. So the children perhaps aren't left with with boyfriends or men that may not be the best providers and may end up taking advantage of them, but that's all she's got because she's got to go to, she's got to go to work. Um, you know, there should be factories in some of these neighborhoods uh, uh, so that women who work the overnight shifts uh, don't have to go outside of their communities. They can have jobs in the communities so that they don't have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and stand on the bus corners at five o'clock in the morning and become easy targets because it's dark outside. You know, uh, there should be a shift in the way we just kind of say, Who's who's working when, uh, you know, so that perhaps it's you know it's, it's not the woman who is coming home at midnight 
one o'clock in the morning um, from that shift, you know, maybe it's also, and again, I'm going off the top of my head, these suggestions from women, not my suggestions, but theirs, um, you know, there needs to be more conversations with black men uh, or, or whoever the men are, who are the significant others of these women uh, so that you can stand outside in, in watching them as they come in at midnight or when they get off of work uh, so that, you know, you can act as a, um, not as a deterrent, but so that you can protect them so that you, you know, you offer them some kind of safety, some kind of protection there. Um, you know, so there, but, but, you know, but the, then you also have to look at the, uh, the justice system, you know, the, do we need training for more training? Because p- there is training, according to those that I've spoken to, uh, you know, Kim Fox said she had offered training for prosecutors, you know, to kind of address their unconscious bias, you know, uh, police officers, you know, uh, there should be more training for them to address their unconscious bias, uh, you know, so and they've done they've done some of this training. Do we need to see more of this training? So, you know, what's the difference between a Harvey a Weinstein victim and a R. Kelly victim? You know, so you, you, you have to you really have to step back and say, are you looking at black women differently? And, you know, yes, we do need to address the fact that there is a perhaps unconscious bias here. So I, I know that's a long answer, but the bottom line is that all of these are all the sort of, sorts of things that need to be addressed. And and uh, they are being addressed. You know, I, I, um, I am hearing that Alderman Viegas, who did reach out to me and talked about putting together a, a task force and uh, the group that we saw at the North Lawndale network, employment network, I think it is, uh, you know, they're kind of convening and you know, talking about some solutions as well. So the the buzz is out there and I think people are uh, reacting. Well, that, that's the, 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 the concluding question I have for you. Um, what has been uh, the response? Uh, you mentioned uh, Alderman Viegas and uh, thank you, Alderman, for for stepping up. But have any other aldermen, uh, any other elected officials, uh, stepped up as well? What's what's been the resp- response to your story? You know, it's interesting. Uh, not what I would have hoped for overall. We sent out oh, about two hundred and close to two hundred and forty emails with the video attached uh, to city, state county uh, heads of this and leaders of that saying, hey, look at this, look at this story. Uh, We'd like your reaction to it. And Alderman Viegas was the first one. He said, this is a social justice issue. And, you know, I will propose a resolution um, to form a task force to look at this. Kim Fox's office said, yeah, we need to do something and have a commission on girls. Uh, so 
you know, she immediately responded. I heard, you know, I heard from a couple of other people that said, oh, this is so sad. And that was it. Uh, so I was a little disappointed that I didn't hear from more. Uh, Alderman Viegas reached out to, I, I think, Alderman Stephanie Coleman, who is in charge of the Black Caucus for City Council. And again, I think they're all kind of working together, which is which is great. Um, so, you know, there was there was some response. And then I think the biggest response, though, or equally important was from the community. Um, you know, there was a, a group of, of women. Uh, and there's this one woman who has an organization, a nonprofit that focuses on wellness for women. And she pulled a group of women together and said, let's start doing uh, what she's calling Protect Black Women you know, to do the billboards and to just get that information out there and to, to work with the churches and sororities and such. And then the net, the uh, North Lawndale Employment Network, they literally convened about 20 women together uh, from various organizations. And, you know, they had a conversation. And uh, as a result of that conversation, again, I, I think we're going to at least see a discussion started. And, and that's, you know, that's what you want. You want to just say, that, you know, let's just talk about what can we do? Because again, there's no perhaps easy answer, but, you know, if we come and talk about it, you know, we can, we can figure something out. Well, I have to say, and this is me speaking, not Dorothy Tucker. That's a pretty pathetic response, Chicago. I mean, if you see Dorothy Tucker's piece, it's one of the hardest hitting things I've seen in a long time. It's absolutely gut wrenching. I just watched it again before I did the show, and one alderman reached out from all. There's 50 aldermen in the city council. And, yeah. Uh, I I I'm, uh, I personally I just think that's really pathetic, Chicago. And, yeah. Uh, we talk about crime on, on this show all the time, Dorothy. They have experts that come in. They give their opinions about what we should do to take, take care of crime. Uh, politicians come in. They brag about what they're doing to take care of crime. You know, every every little carjacking that happens on the north side of Chicago, I hear about, I read about. And 18 to 1, damn, I can't. I, that is just stuck in my head. 18 to 1, ladies and gentlemen. And you it's know, like... Yeah, go ahead, Dorothy. Well, no, I just want to give a shout out to a couple of um, folks uh, in the uh, in the media, uh, you know, who did really respond because, again, every little bit helps, you know. So when you have somebody like Mark Wallace, you know, who um, is kind of a community activist and uh, and and has the the podcast and and just. You know, you never know who's listening. Rufus Williams with WVON, he immediately had me on. He's had me on a couple of times, you know, so I appreciate that. And then there have been a couple of people who've reached out. And then what you're doing, you know, what you're doing, it all makes a difference. You know, there is somebody who, you know, maybe didn't see the piece now because of you will go and watch it, you know, uh, because of Mark, because of Rufus will go and watch it. And I have gotten emails from women who are like, you know, you let me know when everything is pulled together, you know, what you need, you know, I got your back, want your support. So I, it's, you know, it's disappointing that I didn't get that immediate rush, but I'm not going to give up. And, you know, that's why I'm doing your show. And that's why I pretty much will talk to anybody, uh, you know, just so that we can 
keep this conversation going. If there isn't proof that she'll talk to anybody, she just spent 40 minutes talking to me, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Dorothy Tucker. Listen, Chicago, do me a favor. Prove Alden Lowry wrong. That's my dear friend, Alden Lowry. When I asked him one more time, Dorothy, why didn't anybody talk about all these black people living in Chicago? He said, Ben, I don't think they saw it as a problem. So why wasn't there an immediate outcry with Dorothy Tucker put together a one-year investigation, ladies and gentlemen, went going through with her uh, associates at Channel 2. It wasn't just Dorothy. Let's give a shout-out to all the people in the back room. Eight million. <laughs> eight million crime reports. Now, and profiles, eight, not profiles. necessarily reports. It was just profiles of people. With, okay. Fair enough. I said corrected. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Still a lot. I don't care if it's a profile or a report or what. Eight million of those suckers. Okay? And she comes up with this staggering report. There's not immediate outrage. There's not city council hearings. There's not proposals to fund mental health clinics. There's not proposals to fund daycare centers. Uh, anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox. Story. <laughs> and, you know, remember, again, you know, we're talking about these stats that span um, – you know, over the years. course of 20 years. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's, you know, you can, it's a, it's a lot to look at over 20 yeah. years, but um, at the end of the day, black women are disproportionately impacted by crime. Absolutely. 18 yeah. to one. Whew, that's going to stick with me for a while. All right, Dorothy, thank you very much for taking time to talk to me. And thank uh, you for having me. She's going strong, ladies and gentlemen. She got that Lifetime Achievement Award, and she just ran through the tape and said, no, I think I'll do another Lifetime, okay? <laughs> She's a legend. The pride and joy of Austin High School, Dorothy Tucker. Thank you for coming on my humble podcast, Dorothy. Thank you. All right. That's, that's Dorothy Tucker. I'm Ben Drafts. Take care, everybody. 